Uh, today we are continuing our sermon series on Acts, and as DJ just read, um, that, that is from chapter 3 of Acts, and we started uh, the first two chapters of Acts we covered bef- in December before Christmas. And we were talking about it this week and how this is such a dense little piece of Acts. Uh, it, what it is is a summary of one of Peter's sermons, sort of compacted into this language. And we're reading it uh, translated from Greek into English, and the English is, is difficult, right? And so we read it from the message, trying to reveal a little bit more about what he is saying. But I was thinking about how to talk about it this week. And, um, and I don't know if this happens in your house, but my wife loves puzzles. Is that right, honey? Yes, she does. And uh, like every time there's a, a good break, she's like, I'm going to pull out a puzzle. And so the puzzle, the table comes out and the puzzle comes out, right? And the puzzle pieces come out and we start to do that. Now, I don't know, I'm not much into puzzles, so I don't spend a lot of time doing it, but, but what I have figured out is that the box is really important when you're doing a puzzle, right? And my guesstimate is like you're pulling up a piece and you're like, well, there's a little bit of tree on it. Where is there a tree? And you kind of put it over there, hoping that it'll fit in eventually, right? Or uh, you, you look over here and there's a little piece of water and you put the thing over there by the water. What's mean is those puzzle boxes where the puzzle is different than the box inside. You know, they have a little twist and everything's are moved around. Those are, those are mean. Um, but a puzzle... Uh, is, is difficult to understand, but the guide on the box is helpful. And so what we're going to do today is I'm going to offer you a box for this message today, uh, a, a guide that will help you sort of understand the context of which this plugs into. Because this is a really profound piece of scripture, but without any context, it's, it's somewhat difficult to understand. And so we're going to jump into it. And what we're going to do to start that is just back up ever so slightly. This starts at verse 13 in Acts 3, but verse 1 of Acts 3 uh, tells of the context of what they're doing. And at the beginning there, Peter and John were going up to the temple uh, at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So remember, Jesus has, has just died on the cross. He's been resurrected. He spent 40 days with the disciples. He ascended. And the disciples are still in Jerusalem, and so they're still doing their normal routine. So they go up to the temple to pray. And a a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now there's a lot here because we're not a first century Jew we don't understand. But first of all, so a lame man from birth. So he's got some friends there. He's a disabled man. They've been bringing him to the temple every day so that he can ask for alms or ask for mercy or help. The Greek word is actually mercy. But he's looking for stuff or money to help him through the day, right? And they place him at the beautiful gate, which is sort of like Uh, The food court, Uh, you know, it's the main entrance. It's everybody would have passed by there, right? So they would have seen him. Uh, So he would have been familiar to most people because they came to the temple every day. And they would have noticed him. Uh, And so he sees Peter and John come to go into the temple and he asks them for some help. He asks them to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And so he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter does something different. 
He says, I have no silver and gold, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I haven't got any money, but I have something better, right? And so the man, uh, so he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Immediately he was healed. And leaping up, he stood, be, uh, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with him. So right away, he'd been laying on his mat every day his whole life, and all of a sudden, he's going into the temple to pray. And he was not just walking, but he was walking and leaping, and not just walking and leaping, but praising God. And I love that. There's a kid's tune about that. He was walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him. Because this was in the high-trafficked area, right? And he says, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So this is the context of our sermon here. Peter starts to preach the sermon, but right before that, he heals a guy that everyone had seen had been lame his entire life. He had been disabled his entire life, and Peter just comes across him, and he says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And so everybody's wondering what's going on. The man is clinging to... Uh, to Peter's leg, and everybody's wondering, and Peter says to them these words. He starts his sermon here. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. I just want to pause right here. Because we didn't grow up in this time, we probably don't recognize this phrase. But this would have been used all the time in, in Jewish circles because this is the same thing that God said to Moses in the burning bush. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers. He's identifying whose authority he's talking. And he says that God has glorified Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he has decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. Let me just pause right there. So, Get the scene in your head, right? Get a little mental picture. He just raised a guy. Everybody's, what, you know, what kind of power does this amazing guy has? And so they want to know what he's talking about. And so he turns to him and goes, you killed Jesus, the holy one, the righteous one. But then he says, but God raised him from the dead. And to this, we are witnesses. Now, I bet everybody who was excited at one point is now a little bit less excited when they hear Peter talking about this. And he says to him, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your own rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. He says, I know that you probably didn't know what you're doing. And so God is offering you a second chance. He says, repent, therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. This is the core of the gospel message, right? We say this, I don't know, hopefully every week we say this, that, that God has died for you, that Jesus has risen from the grave, and that if you repent and turn back to him, trusting in him, your sins may be blotted out. So Peter tells him this, but, but there's so much packed into that that I want to give you a wider brush so that you understand how everything plugs into this. So if you've been a Christian a long time, you've been a Christian your whole life, hopefully this is review. If you're new to being a Christian, this might give you some context into how things work. It all starts with creation, the beginning of Genesis. 
God creates a garden. God creates the earth, the heavens and the earth, and we are placed in it. And it is beautiful, and God said it is good. But what happens next? Shortly thereafter, we decide that we're tired of God being God, and we want to be God. And we have the fall. And so we're kicked out of the garden, and sin enters the world. Sin is everywhere. It seeps into every little bit of creation. And the world is tainted by it. But God has a rescue plan, and so he creates, he talks to Abraham, and he calls him out and says, from you I will create a great nation, one that will outnumber the stars in the heavens. So Abraham has a son, Isaac, who then has a son, Jacob, and Jacob is renamed Israel. He has 12 kids that become the 12 tribes of Israel. Following me so far? Got your seatbelt on? We're going pretty fast, okay? Jacob has another son, Joseph. And Joseph had this really amazing coat, you know, maybe even like a technicolor kind of coat. Maybe you've heard about this. It's sort of a dreamy coat, I've heard. Joseph has this coat. His brothers get very jealous of his coat. And so they, they, send, uh, they tell dad that Joseph has been killed, but they sell him into slavery, and he goes off into Egypt. In Egypt, Joseph befriends uh, people by by telling them their dreams and, and diagnosing their dreams. And so the Pharaoh then gets Joseph to help him, and they avert a famine because Joseph understood the dreams he had about the coming famine. So Egypt has all of this food stacked up, but the rest of the world does not, and they're not prepared for the famine. So Joseph's brothers then go to Egypt. They find Joseph. They reconcile, and they find themselves living in Egypt. And then as the Bible says, they become fruitful and multiply. And uh, the family of God now has swollen and become a, a huge family here in Egypt. With me so far? This is where it really gets exciting because for a while things are going great. But then a new Pharaoh comes into power who doesn't know the deeds of Joseph. And he looks around and he sees all these Israelites and he goes, they're a danger to me, a threat to me. So he puts them into slavery. And so God's people cry out for a rescue. They cry out for help. That's when God calls Moses in the burning bush and says, you are going to take my people out of slavery and into the promised land. We call that the Exodus, right? And what's the biggest picture of the Exodus? It's those plagues because the Pharaoh said, no, you can't let them go. So God kept sending further and further plagues until the Pharaoh finally relented. And the last one was that he sent the angel of death upon every house to kill the firstborn. But the Israelites could avert that. They could, they could protect themselves by using the blood of the lamb on a door. And then the angel of death would pass over that house that night. And so the, they've celebrated the Passover ever since. And that Passover was the main story of the Old Testament. The Exodus is the main piece of the Old Testament. God rescuing his people. They become their own nation. He gives them the law, and he saved them by the blood of the Lamb that they celebrate all the time. So God restores his people through a Lamb. That's the first phase of the, the project, right? Creation, fall, and the Exodus and redemption through a Lamb. But God doesn't stop there. Jesus, Peter says, is doing something new. 
God is up to something new. This is what he was saying, that Jesus has come and he has died for your sins. In fact, uh, John the Baptist referred to Jesus as the Lamb of God because he knew what he was about to do. He was about to die for our sins and become the final lamb. Now, an earthly lamb can only solve so much problems, but God himself being the lamb restores all people to him. Peace on earth, God and sinners reconciled. He died for our sins, and he was risen again. And we are reconciled through his blood. This is the story that Peter is telling them. You killed Jesus, the Holy One, but God had foretold of this. That was his plan all along. And now's your chance to repent. And all we need to do is trust in Jesus in order to be rescued by him. Now, here's the next part. So that's all up to this part, right? And this is the Christmas story. This is Easter story and the resurrection. But there's more. There's more to the story that often we miss. Peter says, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. What does he mean by that? That's something we don't often clearly talk about in church. God will restore all things. In the end, God will restore all things. The Bible talks about this in various places. Romans 8, 21. The creation itself will be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 2 Peter 3. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Ephesians 1, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And then in probably my favorite chapter of the entire Bible, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. God is going to restore all things. Revelation 21 goes on to talk about God creating a new heaven and a new earth where we will live together with God. God will be our God and we will be his people and we will live together freely without any of the things that burden us right now, the sin of this world, death, disease, sorrow, all these things. God will wipe away every tear and be our God. That's what he means when he says restoring all things. It's the final act of the play. It's when peace wins for good. It's when God finally moves in the final act, and we long for that day. But what does that mean for us right now? Here, here's the important part. Firstly, the thing that you should know, that we are indeed sinners in need of a Savior, but we can repent and have our sins blotted out. We can trust in the work of Jesus on the cross, in his resurrection. We can trust in God's promises that he cares for us and that he loves us. But there's more. See, it's not just about that and thinking that, okay, well, I've got that covered. And oftentimes as Lutherans we say, we've got that covered, but then uh, I'm just waiting for heaven, right? What, what do we do in between? What are we to do in the meantime? In Acts 3.19, Peter says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Yes, 
But he also says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What does he mean by that? This is a bit of a puzzle in our faith. This is like step one, know that your sins are forgiven and that you can trust in Jesus and know that you can't do anything to earn it. But step two is that there's something else available. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. See, if, if our faith was just uh, like a philosophy or sort of a how-to manual, you know, or it's just kind of like doing your taxes, then it would make sense. Well, I trusted in Jesus, check, that's done, and we move on. But our faith and this entire story that I've told you is about a living God who cares for his people, a living God who longs for you to know refreshing times while you wait for the final restoration of all things. Refreshing times for you. We have a, a radical and, and living God who wants that for you. Now, I was thinking about the man that he healed at the beginning of this, this chapter. You know, he is, he's just sitting there. Every day he comes in. His situation hasn't changed since he was born. He's been disabled since he was born. And so every day he comes and he asks for help. And every day he comes begging for money. And every day he just tries to make it through. Every day he just tries to make enough so that he can find some food for the end of the day. This is his only way to provide for himself. And it just keeps on going and going. And maybe he's lost hope. Or maybe he's just going through the motions and he doesn't think about what's available to him. And then Peter and John come up, and he asks the same question that he's asked all these times. Can I have something to help me get by? Can you help me out? And all of a sudden, he's given something new, something that he really wasn't expecting. And what happened? His life was changed. Something new happened to him. And his response was leaping and praising God. What's your life like these days? Is it just trying to get by? Is it just hoping that another day will pass by and that, that you'll have money in the checkbook so that you can feed the family? You know, there's these things that we have to do all the time. And maybe you just come to church thinking, well, I, I just need to make sure that I, uh, God knows I'm still here so that when I pass, he'll know me at the gates, Right? But something new is available to you, the presence of the Lord. Something new is available to that lame man. He wasn't expecting it, but God blessed him with something new. You too can be blessed with something new, with the presence of God. And all you need to do to receive that is accept that forgiveness and pray that the Holy Spirit would fill you. And just like Peter and John said to that man, I have no silver or gold for you. I will say the same to you. I don't have silver or gold for you. I don't have some magical formula that will make your life better. I don't have something that will make your children moral. I don't have something that will solve all of your problems. But what I do have is the good news that God loves you God has put an entire plan in the process so that you can be reconciled to him. And more importantly, 
He longs for you to know his presence before the end. He longs for you now to have advanced a foretaste of the feast that is to come. He wants that for you. And I want that for you too. I want our church to be filled with people that are dancing and praising and and leaping all over the place. What a gift that is. It was a gift to the lame man back then, and it is a gift to us now. And the Lord wants for you to have that. So let's just pray that we might receive. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you have done. Lord, it's when we read the scripture as a whole, we see that you have been working the whole time to reconcile us to you. Even though we turn away, even though we have killed Jesus by trying to be our own God, you love us. You've offered for us to trust in you. You've made a way for us to be reconciled. You've given us Jesus so that we can see you, to know your love, but also so that he may die for our sins. So, Lord, blot out our sins. Forgive us. And also, Heavenly Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us a foretaste of what you have planned in the future, a time when we will be with you without barrier. Give us a foretaste, Heavenly Father, of that so that we may continue to trust you, so that we may continue to serve you in this place. Lord, all these things we pray for in the holy name of Jesus, the same name of Jesus of Nazareth that healed the lame man. We pray this morning in Jesus' name, amen.